global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. Developing and developed nations wax and wane in their importance in the global stage. While consumption and interconnectedness both increase, laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. How do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens International Business Attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Please connect with us via email and social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Today we are joined by Sonu Ratra, the co-founder of Akraya and founder of Women Back to Work. She is a strong believer that with success comes responsibility. Ratra has been recognized as a highly motivated and focused thought leader in the talent and staffing industry. Besides leading Akraya's aggressive growth strategies, she serves on the board of directors at the Institute of Economic Empowerment for Women to support their Peace Through Business program. She also serves on the foundation board at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. A past winner of the Enterprising Woman of the Year Award, Ratra has received several accolades, including the Woman of Influence Award, Northwood's Outstanding Business Leader Award, the Business Journal's Community Impact Individual Champion Award, and Silicon Valley Leadership Group Doer Award. An entrepreneur with a charitable heart, Ratra is passionate about giving back to the community. Over the years, she has been an avid supporter for women's empowerment. She is currently spearheading the initiative Women Back to Work, a workforce reentry program for women. Acria Inc. is a global staffing and managed services company headquartered in Santa Clara, California. Named the best places to work for three consecutive years, Acria is also ranked by the staffing industry analysts as the best staffing company to temp and work for. Sonu, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law and Business. Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure to be here. Sonu, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Please tell us a little about how you ended up on your current career path. We'd love to hear about particularly positive and particularly negative experience you might have had on that path. Well, it's so nice to be here. And um, Jonathan, as I look back on my career of 23 plus years, I feel very fortunate to have worked with the most phenomenal leaders and managers who've led me to where I am today. Of course, there's been a lot of positive experiences, and those are the ones that I remember the most. Um, I still recall my first job right out of school at um, India's largest consulting company, which was the Tata Consultancy Services, also known as TCS, and its location on Mumbai's um, tallest skyscraper. And, you know, right out of college, that was a dream come true. And my first boss was a retired army officer. Um, And even in my very short stint there, he taught uh, me the importance of uh, discipline, showing up dot on time, going over and beyond to keep my commitments and meeting deliverables. And from that first job, Um, I remember it was a leap over thousands of miles to the United States where I started with a smaller company. 
And and there was a great benefit to starting small uh, in my career. I was new to the country, hadn't worked here ever before, and I had just received my H-1 after sitting at home for about a year. Um, I came here on a spouse visa, so I had no option uh to work. Um, but this is a boss who helped me truly regain my confidence. He helped me learn every aspect of the business um, during that few years that I worked for him. I learned how to build teams. I learned how to help create a winning business. And, you know, I learned how it was to work in a large family. And that's exactly how small businesses work. And and then later on, my career journey also included working for companies like Cisco and Genentech um, at Genentech, which is you know known to be in the profession of saving lives. I helped lead and work uh, with shared services. That was my role and focused on workforce strategy. And my boss there was um, a lady named Margaret Pamera, um, who actually uh, did these triathlons and she passed away at the age of 54. So I, I have in, learned incredible things from her. And um, she was a fearless one. Um, she helped me find my voice. Uh, she insisted that uh, I learn how to ask for a seat at the table and be able to share my opinions and share them loudly. Um, this is where I really, really dived deep into what I could be good at. And I realized my full potential and how I could have a positive impact on those around me. And then although I work for large organizations, uh, Jonathan, my heart was always set to be an entrepreneur. Um, I ran and helped my dad's trucking business when I was about 16 years so, ago. So I, you know, when I was 16 years old, I carried that throughout my life. And so when I did start my company, Akraya, everything that I had learned from my past experiences and past managers, I applied it to the business. And uh, today, as I look back at Akraya, uh, we're ranked amongst the top women-owned businesses in the U.S. We're ranked amongst the best places to work. And the key areas of focus that emerge are people, technology, customers, and giving back. And over the people, um, over the years, people that I've worked with have challenged me, have challenged my beliefs, my thoughts in ways that make me who I am today and how I contribute to the growth of my company. So not too many negative experiences, just a lot of learning experiences is what I would say. So looking at women back to work it's a it's an initiative it's a social initiative um, could you tell us a little more about the scope of women back to work's mission um, I, and i just as an aside i know you know this but our listeners may be interested that our one of our former guests nathan sharanian is a good personal friend of mine from many years many years back and uh, he is on the board now women back to work so i've had uh, maybe two years worth of input from him about what he's been doing um, and the great things that Women Back to Work is a part of. So I'd love to hear some more background on Women Back to Work. And and I think you also have a personal component to why you started uh, down this path. Yes, uh, I love talking about our Women Back to Work program and how it all started. About 20 years ago, um, I made the choice to take a break when my daughter was born. Um, she was born early, um, so I had to make a choice. And I remember the exact day that I decided to take a pause on my career. Uh, she was three months old. I was meeting my manager to figure out, you know, what would my next project be. So I took her along so that the office could meet her. And the moment my manager walked into the conference room that I was seated with my daughter, she started howling and crying. And 
uh, for the next hour, I there was nothing that you know we could do. But I, I I had nothing else I could do but to pacify her. So that meeting wasn't greatly successful. And I walked out of that door that day, sat in my car, uh, cried for a little bit, and I said, I'm going to make a choice to leave the workforce, uh, take a few months off, and take care of my child. And um, when I tried to return to the workforce, I realized that all doors were shut firmly, and I only had an 18 month gap, which is not uh, which is not a lot. But that gap was a chasm I just couldn't cross easily. So I, you know, ultimately found a job, someone who trusted me um, and gave me a second chance. And then as I as I founded the company, Akraya, um, you know, I could never forget those days. And I, and I, I had been in those shoes and I realized the hurdles that women particularly women in this case, face when they take time off uh, from the workforce, whether it is to take care of your young kids or to raise families or uh, become caretakers or take care of elderly parents. They um, face a lot of hurdles when they're going back to work. So, you know, it was very easy for me to be, you know, while I was growing the company Akraya, our purpose always has been how do we... um, how do we deliver three times karma, uh, which is how do we give back? So it was, very, it was a very easy decision that I, I had made that along this journey, we want to make sure we help women who are going back into the workforce. And so we did that informally for the first 15, 20 years. But about five years ago, I formally launched a program and called it Women Back to Work. And the purpose of the program is to create systemic pathways that facilitate the re-entry of women into the workforce while enabling companies to hire for exceptional talent and exceed their diversity goals. Um, and as you can see in today's world, um, where we are today, that has become a priority, top priority for many companies. Um, we've impacted many, many lives, over a thousand lives. Um, we, have a, uh, we have a program director. We work with returners every day. Uh, we create jobs for them. We mentor them. Um, create pathways for them, hold their hands while they're going through this journey. So it's been it's been extremely fulfilling, and the Women Back to Work program has become a movement today. So no, it's it's one thing to talk about these issues in in an abstract way, but I think it's really helpful to our listeners and to and to people generally to be able to to put a human face on on these issues. I'm wondering if if you might have some anecdotes uh, based on, on on your experience dealing with uh, women who have who have encountered these issues perhaps uh, stories that, that you can share with us and and related to that I wonder if, if there are perhaps um, some statistics that can help us um, get a get a handle on on the types of, of numbers and the scale of the the issues that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh my gosh, I have so many stories. Um, so one of the things we do at Acraya is uh, we walk the talk. Uh, many of our sales and account managers are women who have taken time off and they are phenomenal uh, employees. They're the best employees, I can tell you that. Um, we've seen situations where, and in fact, uh, in a case in particular that I I I'm very proud of and Nathan Nathan really helped uh, you talked about Nathan before he really helped uh, bring this uh, returner back into the workforce is Margaret Siri Margaret had about 20 years of experience 
prior to taking 19 years of gap in her career. Um, she had to pause her career because her twin daughter, her twins had a rare disease. So she decided to take time off. Um, and by the time she was ready to go back to work, it was 19 full complete years. Um, today, Margaret is a very successful project manager slash program manager at Cisco. She was hired into a 16-week returnship program uh, at Cisco. She won several awards while she was at that returnship, and she's a very valued employee at Cisco today. Um, and great attitude, great aptitude, uh, fantastic with her teamwork. Uh, so that's definitely an example. I remember our program director for Women Back to Work, Deepika Chibber, took time off uh, from her career and um, came back to work, but um, just had this fire in the belly to be able to make a difference. And she leads our uh, Women Back to Work program today. And several, several more cases. I mean, we see cases every single day where women are walking into our offices and they have an average of about two to eight years gap. Um, 81% of them have a technical background. Uh, 99% of them have bachelor's degree. 70% of them have master's degree. And uh, they are highly ambitious. They want financial independence. They are keen to prove themselves, not just to the world, but to themselves in particular. Um, so I would say that uh, in terms of statistics, um, you know, let we could perhaps talk about women in the workforce today um, as we face our biggest challenges through the pandemic. But, you know, prior to this pandemic, about 43 percent of women leave the workforce and only um, 99% are wanting to go back to the workforce, but only half are actually able to go back to the workforce. They typically end up finding roles that are not at par with what they have done before, or they just choose not to go back to the workforce. Jonathan, you talked about sharing some statistics uh, regarding women in the workforce and challenges they face. And I'd like to particularly talk about uh, the challenges they face today. Uh, especially in 2020, as we go through this pandemic, uh, COVID has hit women extremely hard uh, and it has resulted in job losses and increased challenges multifold uh, for those who remain in the workforce. Um, and, and if you look at it, there's a recent report that came out from McKinsey and Lean In that states that one in four women are considering dropping out of the workforce. And this is because they are trying to balance work. They're trying to balance home. They have the burden of childcare. Housekeeping usually falls on them. No matter how supportive your partner is, how supportive your family is, it is your responsibility. And the lines between work and a home have blurred. Um, and there's an emotional toll of caring for your loved ones. Um, and in particular, black women and women of color are even more severely impacted. And it's very simple. They are facing more systemic barriers um, and the events of 2020 aren't helping. Um, so according to a new report that came out about, I think it's 617,000 women compared to 78,000 women left the workforce in September alone. And in technology companies, it's women that have been laid off or furloughed compared to the men. 
And so we're seeing an increasing uh, number of applications, even at the Women Back to Work program, of women not just who have a year gap or two years gap, but who have been recently laid off. And these include women in leadership roles. And, and a, lot, a large number of these are from the underserved communities who rely entirely on their incomes to pay rent and to sustain themselves. So what I'm saying is, um, you know, years of progress that we may have made, the pandemic has really intensified the challenges women face. And I, I believe we're facing a national crisis and all the progress may be wiped off very quickly if companies and leaders don't take action very quickly. You're also involved in an international peace through business program with the Institute for Economic Empowerment of Women. Can you tell us a little bit more about that program? Yes, um, that's uh, that's that's one of my favorite uh, topics as well. Um, I am I'm very proud of being a part of the Institute for Economic Empowerment of Women. Uh, it was. It was founded by Dr. Terry Neese. Uh, it was a Laura Bush uh, initiative, uh, and the organization is based in Oklahoma. Uh, and the purpose of the organization is really the development and stability of women businesses uh, in developing countries, and in particular, Rwanda and Afghanistan. I've been part of their signature program, which is the Peace Through Business program of for about over 12 years. Um, I recall meeting Dr. Terry Neese at a conference and she told me about the program. She told me about how um, about 30 women, both from Rwanda and from Afghanistan, went through an in-country education uh, in starting in Jan. And then they came into the United States for a leadership development program for about two weeks. And then they were sent home with mentors or business owners. And I jumped at the opportunity. And so for the past 12 years, I have been hosting um, my, and I call them my sisters from Rwanda, Kigali, Kig uh, and Afghanistan. Uh, I call them my sisters because when they come into my home and we spend a week together uh, coming into the office, they, of course, meet everybody here. Um, and for them, it's an experience where they're, they're living life uh, in real time. And how do I run my business? And, you know, how do we hire people and how do we grow people and what's our strategy? And um, and I take them for tours at Google and Facebook and uh, eBay and other companies so they can really um, talk to not just myself, but other leaders as well. And, um, and, and, you know, when they go back, I always think about who learned from whom. I really think I learned a great deal from them. And I have to share a story with you um, that will put this in, in real perspective. So I picked these, um, I picked my mentees from the airport and usually it's two from Rwanda and one from Afghanistan or two from Afghanistan, one from Rwanda. So I picked them up on Saturday morning. I'm driving them back home and I always ask them, so, look, we're going to do a lot of work this week. It's going to be super busy, but you know, tell me one thing that you'd like to do. And maybe that's fun. Maybe you've been wanting to do it for a long time. Uh, and what is it? So um, the the women from Kigali will typically tell me that I've never been in an In-N-Out burger joint and I want to eat an In-N-Out burger. Uh, so I really want to do that. So I will, will do that for sure. And the women from um, uh, Afghanistan will tell me that... Um, you know, we've um, never been in a movie theater. 
ever in our lives. And I would, if there is an opportunity, I'd love to go see a movie um, in a theater. I've never seen what a bar in uh, California looks like, a typical bar in California looks like. And um, I'd like to see at least from the outside what the world looks like. So really to put in perspective what everything that we take for granted uh, in this country um, is very difficult to come by in Rwanda and Afghanistan. So I uh, remain completely committed to the program. And um, we did not host this year because of uh, the pandemic, but we hope to host again next year. I've also been back to Rwanda uh, a couple of times to meet the families of our um, mentees. And it's just uh, it's just an incredible, exp- incredible and an eye-opening experience. That is amazing. And so how many uh, mentors are a part of the program right now? And do you know, I mean, maybe roughly how many mentors and how many mentees? I've never heard of it before. And it sounds like a absolutely fascinating program. Every year, the number is usually between 30 and 40 that are hosted in the United States. So I'd say the Peace Through Business program has impacted, you know, close to about at least over 600 uh, women. Uh, and not just that, uh, what the program has also done is create alumni networks in both countries. So the women who have been through the education program and the mentoring um, paid forward. So they really go back to their countries and mentor others as well. And the way these uh, the mentees are selected is, um, and, and, and you know, the nature of businesses is very unlike the businesses in the U.S. Um, they're not, they are, you know, very few of them are technology companies, but they are in agriculture, farm, they work in farms, or they have small shops, stationery stores, or promotional businesses. Or for example, there was a woman who had the first uh, petrol uh, pump, uh, as they call it in Rwanda, in in Rwanda, the woman who had opened the first bar in Rwanda. Um, And and, and just imagine the impact that they have, because especially someone who's, uh, for example, there's a woman who um, is um, making soaps in a very small farm, uh, in a very small community. But when she goes back, having learned everything she does, there's a ripple effect in you know, you know, she helps educate the girls over there. She helps her community over there. So it really has a very large economic impact in the country. Jonathan and I have had the opportunity to work with outstanding women, both at our firm and at least in my case, and I imagine it's it's the same for, for Jonathan as well, at other places where, where I've worked. But in many countries, uh, women are missing from, from that equation. They're missing from the workplace, or at least, or perhaps not entirely, but, but there's certainly a lot... It, I feel that that a lot needs to be done in that regard to make sure that women are making their their proper contribution. If the, the way I look at it, when when you have uh, an economy where fifty percent of of the uh, of the population is not able to to contribute fully, that's only going to have a negative impact on on that society. Could you could you talk to this and perhaps? Uh, share with us some ideas on on how this this could be improved, not only in some of the countries that that have the more dramatic issues, but perhaps even in our own society here in the U.S. What can we do to make sure that the the potential of of women in the economy is realized? 
that's a really, really good question. And, you know, when I look at the contributions of women worldwide uh, and what we can do, I mean, we definitely, like you said, need to look at a global picture. And I, and I say this because I grew up in India, a developing country, and I have, uh, of course, you know, I, I did get a great education there. And, and I witnessed my professional growth in the U.S., but also work very closely with women entrepreneurs like in Rwanda and Afghanistan. Um, we, we do have to look at the contributions that are uh, made by several amazing, inspiring global figures like Melinda Gates, Malala, Michelle Obama, CEOs of companies like uh, Indra Nooyi at PepsiCo, Nandita Bakshil, Bank of the West, uh, uh, Catherine Johnson from NASA, Greta Thunberg, um, the the Prime Minister of New Zealand, um, RBG, I mean, so many, so many more. Um, and, and if you look at that, these women have paved the way to progress and advance specific causes for women and opened several doors uh, behind them as, as they walk through these doors. Um, I feel like if if any country had to really push women forward, we, we, we must look at the true contributions of women uh, of course, you know the ones that are uh, that we already know of, but but truly the the contributions of mothers um, that are caretakers for their family, that are caretakers of, for elderly in their countries, that um, that really move their families and their welfare forward. Women who are educators, um, teachers who ensure kids stay in school and become contributing citizens of the society. Um, look at you know look at what what we're paying teachers today, right? We can't deny, again, the role of women in the workforce, whether it is in rural communities or it's in urban communities, whether it's in developing countries or it's in a country like the United States. Women contribute immensely to, uh, as volunteers at schools, in their neighborhoods, in their communities, in their society. They lead social change and they fight for what is right. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I think, um, I think leaders, leaders in countries have to really, really look at uh, women that come from every aspect uh, of, of of our communities and then really look at what is it that can be done, um, you know, for all of us to even understand that women's rights are human rights, right? Uh, for companies today to step up, I mean, as we go through the pandemic, I mean, it's a clear example, women are leaving the workforce in numbers that have never been seen before. And, um, and companies need to create, um, um, you know, ways... All companies need to step up today uh, when women need their jobs the most. They need to create flexible work environments for women. They need to create pathways for them to return to the workforce. They need to find ways to create uh, mechanisms to support women of color, women from the underserved communities and and I think when you when you look at real development for women, we just can't ignore uh, women that come from every aspect of the society. Like I said, but um, but it's going to take a I think it's going to take a great deal of momentum for us to be uh, where we really need to be. And um, and I think each and every single one of us have to do it. And I have two daughters of my own. Um, my wife has been our our caretaker of our five children for our whole married life of almost 20 years now. Um, so she certainly gets a strong role model at home for a responsible person. What kind of advice would you have me to give to my girls as they're growing up and for other young women who want to have 
full participation and contribute in meaningful ways in whatever way they think uh, they can make the best contribution to society, whether that's in the workforce, whether it's at, ho- at home, supporting schools, whatever that looks like. I'd say find your voice. Find your voice. Know that your opinion counts. And that we need each and every young woman and young girls to lead us to into an equal world. Um, I have a daughter who's 20 years old and um, she calls herself a feminist. And, um, and, you know, as I was raising her, I had the same question that you brought up. Like, what could I teach her? And it was find your voice because your opinion matters and it counts. And do you think that uh, that women are doing a good job of supporting each other in that, um, or can even the community of women improve on how we uh, how we look at each other's uh, voices? I mean, it's especially important now. We're looking in, going into into the final the final turn on our presidential uh, election, so it's very hot on our minds. You know, the idea of how do we have a good exchange of opinions, uh, let everyone have their own voice, and still. Uh, and still let everyone make their own decisions in the end. I mean, it's a very, very fine edge. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I definitely believe women are helping women and women are supporting women. And I think it's one of the reasons it's happening is where we are today, you know, in our, the environment that we are today. And women have realized that they, they really have to make their voice count and they have to have a seat at the table if we were going to make any progress at all. Um, and I think I uh, I believe a lot of this has also happened because of technology, because of social media. We're able to hear what someone across the country in another area of the world is talking about. And I feel like that that message has spread across the globe. Um, I definitely think we have a very, very, very long way to go. Um, but I feel like we are we're definitely in somewhat better place than we were. And um, with the leaders that I, you know, spoke about earlier and all the advocacy that we're doing today, um, I I feel like we're on a path towards an equal world and towards uh, what we really aspire for, um, for, for our sisters, women, especially. So Anu, before we let you go, We'd love to hear what recommendations you might have for our listeners. This is uh, certainly one of my favorite parts of, of every podcast because we we get to learn from our guests in a different way, right? After our conversations, then we we also get a taste of, of what informs you. Um, so with, with that in mind, uh, many people recommend books. Others recommend uh, things they're they're watching on TV. Any any format is 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 fine. Um, you know, I just read this book. Um, I actually read the book when it came out, but, and then I reread it, uh, in the context where we are today. And it's just mercy by Brian Stevenson. I'm a huge fan of his work. He founded the equal justice initiative and, um, in his pursuit to help those who are wrongly condemned and trapped in the criminal justice. Um, I just, I just absolutely love rereading that book. Um, I also, um, recommend, reading books on climbing, especially if you run a business. Um, and this particular um, author, Ed Vister and Mountaineer, and I recently read his book, No Shortcuts to the Top, um, and he's reached summits all over the world. Um, actually, fourteen he's summited 14 mountains uh, without supplemental oxygen. And his books are a great reference guide, uh, so to speak, for myself, and I definitely recommend it to others as well. Um, 
and lessons from climbing mountains, I feel like can be applied to the business uh, or your own life, risk-taking, teamwork, perseverance, not being discouraged by setbacks when working towards a common goal or overcoming obstacles, waking up every single morning ready to face a new challenge, uh, decision-making, um, and how ultimately you lead your teams safely through difficult times um, and how do you bring them to back to the base I think those are all lessons that I have applied in my business and to my life and I definitely recommend those I also um, have just begun to enjoy uh, a podcast uh, by Shankar Vedantan and it's Hidden Brain he uses science and storytelling to reveal patterns that drive um, our human behavior and how we have biases that shape our choices. So I'm really enjoying um, listening to that podcast on my drive to work when I am driving to work these days. Excellent. Thank you. Jonathan, what, what about you? What, what uh, can you recommend for us this week? Well, lately, I say the last week or so, I've been captivated by the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji on Amazon Prime. Uh, the race actually took place last year, and Amazon's just now televised it, I think, in the last couple of months, uh, or at least it got the rights to it. It is amazing. <laughs> I can't even describe uh, me sitting at home lazily on my couch watching this, the anxiety I felt for these people. So there, I think there were 66 teams um, traveling all around Fiji uh, with uh, just with maps and compasses and, and the packs, uh, packs on their backs, and they had to travel – I think it's 450 miles over 11 days. That was the cutoff for the race. And uh, I'm almost finished with the series, uh, but I've been amazed because I used to think that, I mean, I think of myself as, a, as an athlete, right? But seeing what, uh, you know, these professional uh, kind of distance racers uh, and, and some people who are obviously not, are just normal people, right? Seeing what they put themselves through, you know, the sleep deprivation, the continual pushing, and uh, it reminded me what Sona just said about, uh, you know, no shortcut to the top, right? I mean, that is exactly um, what has been ironed into my brain now after watching this is that if you want to do something hard, you have to put in the hard work, right? There's no way around that. And uh, I, love, uh, I love the technological connectivity of the world because I get to see what other people are capable of, right? I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't have any real role models to show me that a person could do an Ironman race, right? I mean, run a whole marathon, bike 112 miles and, and swim uh, two and a half miles, I think. But I, I didn't know the human body was capable of that. And so much of that fitness is a mental component as well. And so um, as I'm exercising now, uh, you know, some several times a week, I remind myself that no matter what you're doing, you have to put in the work. There is no shortcut if you want to get results you want, you have to put in work. So it's been a great inspiration to me and also just a lot of fun to watch as I've been biting my fingernails uh, watching these people go through the challenge. So Fred, what about you? My recommendation this week is a podcast and I haven't finished yet. I, I It might even be the case that not all of the episodes are are out yet, but um, certainly for me, they, they it feels as if it's an ongoing ongoing podcast. Um, but in any case, the name of the podcast is Blind Spot: The Road to 9/11, and it is it is a production of WNYC Studios. And as the name suggests, it 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 is about the events that that led up to 
September 11th. I'm, I'm at the point now, literally, where the first World Trade Center attack has, has just occurred. So 1993, it, it's a gripping story. Um, really considering that these were events that, number one, took place here in the United States, number two, took place uh, at a time when I was in high school at that point. But but still, you know, I wasn't a kid, right? So these were really contemporary events. And and, and it may, makes me realize that I knew very, very, very little. Uh, and probably most people know, know very little. Um, so, so far, so good. Very, very gripping. Um, the kind of podcast that makes me I want to keep driving for a little bit longer just to make sure I can finish a particular episode. I uh, listen to it using Stitcher, where you can also find our podcast. But again, Blind Spot, The Road to 9-11, hosted by Jim O'Grady. I just had to add that um, uh, both I will look up, but, uh, you know, Johnson talked about mental challenges and overcoming that after having read all these books on climbing just this past weekend, um, I took the opportunity and the challenge to climb Half Dome in Yosemite. And if you've heard anything about it, um, it rises up to about 8,000 elevation. Um, And the last 400 meters of the climb is 45 degrees steep and it's sheer drop on both sides. And with the help of cables that actually came off just this weekend, and you have to actually win a lottery uh, to get the permit to climb the Half Dome. And if I hadn't read all of the books that I have, I couldn't have mustered the courage to climb that mountain. That is amazing, Sonu. Thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, certainly want to go do some more research now on on Half Dome. Uh, We have loved having you on the podcast with us today. We hope that uh, you've had a good time with us. And we hope we can catch up with you again for another episode in the future because your insights are uh, fascinating and and certainly valuable to the ongoing conversation we're having on this podcast and, and around the world. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. And tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.